0: Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those listening for the first time, the Unity Project is a podcast about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today, I had the chance to make an incredible new friend. Abby Jo Morris is a Maine-based writer who explores the intersections between her various identities, including trans woman, Jewish convert, chronically ill Spoonie, and sex-positive polyslut. Her writing has appeared in Cosmopolitan, Insider, and Columbia Journal. Abby joined me on the podcast today to talk about her experience growing up in a highly conservative part of Florida while being raised as a fundamentalist evangelical. We definitely bonded over the correlations in our stories with that and how we both struggled with eating disorders in the midst of it. It was really interesting to dive deep into the similarities of the rigidness between evangelicalism and eating disorders. We went on to talk about her journey coming out of Christianity and finding Judaism, and how that coincided with her coming out as a trans woman, and how she decided that she wants a body that is just for her. Abby is someone who I feel like I've known for my whole life. I loved talking with her, and as we talked about it at the end, we both left this conversation feeling so full of life and wanting to dive even deeper into who we are. And that is exactly why I love doing. This podcast. I hope you enjoy. Joe Jo Morris. How's it going?
1: It's going pretty good. Pretty good. It's a rainy day here in Bar Harbor, Maine, so I'm just cozy in my sweater hanging out.
0: Oh my gosh, I forgot. I saw that you were from Maine. That's so freaking cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, originally I'm from down in Florida. I'm a southern girl from North, the the redneck part of Florida. But uh, ah. I... I Came here for school, and then I I settled down here for a bit. Oh, that's
0: awesome. Do you like it up there?
1: Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, I could see myself maybe going to the city again. I spent, like, a few months in New York, and I could see myself maybe relocating again just because I'm in my 20s and, you know. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> dating in rural areas particularly as a trans woman <laughs> is not exactly ideal
0: um oh man
1: it's still it's gorgeous and it's just fabulous it's so fabulous yeah have you ever been to bane
0: i have i was there um i used to sell merch on tours and mm. i was there for just just one day in portland portland maine okay, and it was yeah. like a storybook i it the is. bus was parked <laughs> it is the bus was parked we like woke up there and so the bus was parked on a dock and mm-hmm. i woke up and stepped off the bus and it was super like foggy and it was early and cloudy mm-hmm. so i couldn't really see but i knew the ground was like kind of moving and i was so tripped out i was like where <laughs> what the hell is going on <laughs> yeah, I oh just saw God. like like ship sails in the distance and I was like, where are we again? You're like, did we time travel? Like what's going on? <laughs> oh, exactly. It was such an experience, but it was the most beautiful little town. And I just, oh, I was obsessed. Mm. So we ate, we ate lobster rolls. I walked on the cobblestone streets and went to bookstores and coffee shops and all the great things you do. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I often will send pictures to like friends or family. And my boyfriend was actually just, um, he, we're long distance, he's in the city in New York. And he was just saying, oh, my God, your life in Maine seems like a fairy tale. And I just said, well, it kind of is, like, it kind of (laughs) is this, like, weird, perfect, you know, I live in this, like, 100 plus year old Victorian house. I live up in the attic with like two other women and we there's two cats and um there's this beautiful garden and I'm like a 2 minute walk to the ocean and there's just this view of, oh of the god. islands and oh my god it's absurd. It's stupid gorgeous. Oh, yeah. That
0: is so <laughs> wonderful. That sounds that just sounds perfect. I'm I used to um I used to live in, in Boston for a little bit, and so I'm really mm-hmm. wanting to take my partner, I guess my wife now, I have to get used to saying Your that, wife now, to, um, yeah. Yeah, my <laughs> wife now. Um, I really want to take her and show her Boston, and then I'm like, we should just do a whole New England trip and go all, like, all the way Hell up to Maine. Yeah. So if we're Hell up there, yeah. we'll have to hang out.
1: <laughs> Please do. Oh yeah, gosh. I actually, ironically enough, I'm, or I, I guess I'm not anymore, I just... Stopped, but um, I was a tour guide for um, Acadia National Park here in Bar Harbor. So, um, oh wow! Yeah, so I know a lot of the a lot of the good spots. I could take y'all around and show you the um, the you know the the gems that most people miss. It's pretty cool. Oh fun. my
0: gosh, that's even more perfect, Ben's. We will yeah. definitely be hitting you up to be our our favorite tour guide of the New England. Hell yeah! The New England experience. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hell it. Yeah. Well, Abby, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, for those listening, I mean, this it's relevant to those listening, but for me and Abby, we had quite the difficulty with technology a few days ago trying <laughs> to do this the first time. Yes, we did. And yes, it was, I think you call them the technology gremlins, and that was yes, very the accurate. Gremlins. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so they got us but good, we, but we're back. We finally did. It. Yeah,
1: we made it work, and we're back and better than ever.
0: Yes, we are back and better than ever. We have defeated the gremlins, and we are here and ready to ready to give you guys a, a show. Hell yeah! <laughs> Hell yeah! So, so Abby, tell me the, the first question I, I typically start off with with guests on here mm-hmm. um, is to describe the relationship that you have with your body.
1: Ugh. Yes, you you sent me this question beforehand, and also I, like, have listened to some episodes, and I'm just, like, kind of in some ways dreading this question, not because I hate answering questions, but because I feel like this is such a morose answer to give, but lately mm-hmm. my relationship with my body has been kind of sh- shitty. <laughs> Um, oh, man. I, uh, I have fibromyalgia and so, um, you know, I deal with chronic, uh, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, um, brain fog, you know, sensitivity to light and sound and smells sometimes, and just a whole bunch of really fun stuff. Um, and it's been giving me a lot of trouble this summer in particular. So I have been, oh, gosh. uh, yeah, I just started the arduous, um, a task of applying to disability. So, Mm. um, I'm hoping, you know, eventually to make some leeway there and actually be able to not be so worried about supporting myself, um, by, uh, you know, getting that additional help would be really wonderful. So yeah, that's, that's my answer. And I'm sticking to it is it hasn't been great lately. Um, I feel the need. I feel the need to reflect that and, and check in with you. Like how, how is your relationship with your body right now?
0: Oh, thank you for asking. I think that's the first time the question's been turned back to me like that. Now I feel unprepared.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry.
0: <laughs> oh no, that's okay. I love it. Um, well, well to, I have so many questions. Um, my relationship with my body right currently, it is it is it is both man now i get why this is a hard question <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question though it is um i'd say it's not the worst it's ever been but it's not it's not the best i think i so i was in i was in treatment for an eating disorder a few years ago and mm-hmm. since then it's kind of gone back and forth of like feeling comfortable in my skin to the point of like believing what i learned there and believing the dietitians about things about food and body and all this stuff and Mm kind of going on like kind of like a a teeter-totter of believing that and then being like but are they actually telling the truth or is that all a lie and everything else Mm -hmm. is true and Mm -hmm. um which my partner's been The best supporter when it comes to that, with reminding me what's true and helping Mm -hmm. me feel supported and encouraged. But it kind of is just this back and forth, back and forth, like I said, teeter totter about it and like figuring out why it is I do certain things, like why it is I want to go on runs or why it is I want to eat this certain thing and kind of just. Mm learn to feel comfortable in my skin, regardless of if I am exercising or eating a certain way or mm. things like that. So it's kind of back and forth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it it, it always kind of is right. Because like, I, mm-hmm. um, it, when you have an eating disorder, or you've wrestled with an eating disorder. It's not, <laughs> it's not like, a lot of uh, addictions or, or anything where you can completely abstain. You know, it's not alcoholism where you just, oh, I'm just not going to go to bars anymore. I'm just not going to put mm-hmm. myself in situations where I have to drink. You are just constant. you have to eat. You have to eat to live. And so mm-hmm. it's just a constant juggling act in, in perpetuity. It's a, it's a heavy yoke to bear, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, that that's a very good point. That's something that I thought a lot about for a while after, which is, I mean, just like you're saying with alcohol or addiction or things like that, where you it's just a hard no, it's like a a very black and white thing of like, oh, this is not something I can do. Okay, let's avoid all things like that. Yeah. Versus having to constantly be exposed and constantly being on like a balance beam about it. That's a very good way of explaining it. It's, it's tricky it's very tricky very tricky um yeah i i was reading actually uh that you and you have experience with eating disorders before before coming out as trans i think i was reading one of the things you wrote about that is that true yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. so like um i have always had like a weird relationship with food i um yeah i mean i've always loved food i'm a foodie um But growing up, I was the chubby kid in the friend group. You know, I was like the funny fat guy, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. And before I transitioned, of course. And um, I got to this point when I was 16 where I came to terms with my sexuality, which, you know, I was mass presenting. I am only attracted to the men. And so I was thinking like, Oh, I'm gay. And so I finally came to terms with that after years of, you know, like growing up in the evangelical church, like suppressing that, hating myself for it, like all that fun stuff. Um, And I feel like it just freed up all this extra energy, all this mental energy. Like I wasn't expending it, um, hating myself, suppressing myself. I suddenly could like you know, learn songs at the piano much faster. I could suddenly, uh, you know, write faster. I could do this. I could do that. It's like I I had tapped into this whole source of vitality that had been uh, bypassed from me. It had been forced into this really awful uh, mechanism uh, of of self-denial. And now that that was freed up and I, I had access to that I suddenly was like you know what I want to do I want to set a goal I want to lose weight I want to lose the Mm. weight and I did and I lost 70 pounds in six months it was um oh wow you know it was mostly I just eating certain things you know the quote-unquote right things or whatever and um going for runs and exercising a lot i basically completely forewent simple carbohydrates like i was very stringent about it and all of that black and white thinking all of that yes and no thinking like this is good this is bad it just eventually nipped me um right in the butt and i uh ended up binging one night i came back from a run and i was just ravenous and i just binged um and that started a cycle of, of many years where I was binging and purging. Um, and sometimes, you know, purging even when I didn't binge or sometimes binging without purging. You know, it was, it was binge eating mm-hmm. disorder and also bulimia. Um, and I feel like that's a good distinction to make because I think binge eating disorder often doesn't get... Um, like the the airtime that like bulimia does. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and also because I feel like uh, there's not as much exposure to it because oftentimes people with binge eating disorder are also struggling with their weight. And there's this idea or this notion typically in media that like if you have an eating disorder, you must be skinny. Like, mm-hmm. you, you must look a certain way. Otherwise, you are not, your eating is not disordered. Um, and I didn't look that way. I was, like, the healthiest I had ever been physically. Like, I, I could, um, you know, I was running 5Ks, like, and, and just a go. And I was doing well. I was uh, lifting the heaviest I'd ever lifted. I was um, the healthiest I'd ever been. And yet my disordered eating... Was the most disordered it had ever been, um, yeah. Just so, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I definitely there was a lot of conversation in and out of treatment about um, binge eating disorder, not getting like you're saying, not getting the right airtime or just the right acknowledgement as as an eating disorder as well, and. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of conversation, just like you're saying, around um, if someone doesn't fit that cliche cliche look that mm-hmm. people assume because of the media and because of just just false ideas um, of what a eating disorder is, then they're just very dismissed and almost like yeah. we. There's a lot of conversations with us about I was almost like laughed at. They felt like if they mm. were going to say I have an eating disorder it's like no you can't possibly because you look like this and it just puts yeah. more shame into thinking like oh i don't even fit in that in that bubble it just oh there's so much there that is so sad and so mm. just like infuriating mm-hmm. so yeah i guess i just all that to say i definitely know where you're coming from with both of those things
1: yeah Yeah, well, and and I think another element to it as well was the fact that I was male presenting, right? Like, this is before Mm -hmm. I came out as trans. And so I looked like a dude. If you would have asked me how I identified, I would have said, I'm a a man. And um, I think there was another added layer of stigma to that, too, where I was like, oh, guys don't have eating disorders. Oh, like, that's just for girls, which is bullshit like (laughs) oh um, yeah but uh yeah that was that was a whole another layer to it as well just keeping me in my little cage of like don't reach out to people you know don't pursue therapy you can do this on your own like this is your problem to deal with like it's a very isolating thing right it's very intimate
0: yeah it sounds so lonely and (sighs) so just like That on top of all the other things that I'm sure you were dealing with growing up in, you said, rural Florida?
1: Not rural, but definitely redneck, like uh, Jacksonville. So not very rural, but, um, you know, guys driving their lifted trucks while blasting country music on the way to the beach. Like, that's kind of how I describe what I lived in. It was very southern, very beachy, very, um, very conservative. Very conservative. So
0: not, not a very, like, queer-friendly atmosphere, I'm imagining.
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. No, so my parents are evangelical yeah. pastors. Um, and ah. it's, yeah. <laughs> so that, I feel like all I have to do is say that. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But you, you oh, grew up man. evangelical as well. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ka- Yes and no. So my dad was the kind of guy, he was like a, um, I think he became a Christian when I was like two or three. And he, mm-hmm. he was the kind of Christian that was like preparing for the second coming and um, oh. trying to scare us all about. Like reading, having us all read Revelation, and like banging on the table to make us think it was happening then, and like oh gosh, very like evangelical, but with a little bit of a twist. Like he had his own flavor to it. Like he um, no. he would uh, basically be like, "You better have faith, or you're gonna go to hell." Like you have to have enough faith if you don't if you don't know for sure God is mm-hmm. real, you better figure mm-hmm. it out because you're gonna go to hell. Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he would get. He got fired from, like, every volunteer um, and job thing he ever had because he doesn't like to do what people tell him. Those are his own words. (laughs) And so he got fired as the Sunday school teacher, so he, like, took us out Mm. of church and decided to start, like, our own home little family Bible study because we can't trust Mm. anybody else, you would say. So Yeah. Very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. But that... Yeah, that, that, um, I kind of, I never really, well, I didn't really buy into that when I was a teenager, but then when I was 19, I had my own separate come to Jesus moment and had my own mm. thing going on for like three years till I was like, oh, just kidding. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. JK. <laughs> yeah, JK. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to be annoying for yeah. a while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, man. That's around, you know, ironically enough, I think like 19 is when I began to really, I think 19 is when I said like, I'm not, I'm not a Christian anymore like that.
0: Oh, wow.
1: That's when it hit me. Yeah. Because I was, I grew up, you know, my, my whole life, my, my parents, um, had been very, very devout. And I remember thinking, gosh, some of the things you said, like brought back memories, like thinking about, um like wrestling with my sexuality thinking like oh the devil is tempting me and making me like want to watch gay porn so I can look at guys Mm -hmm. like you know just like oh demons are misleading me they're whispering in my ear like earnestly believing these like otherworldly creatures were misleading me and making me just act on very human impulses and I remember thinking um and honestly wishing that I, I wish that a car would hit me and I would die mm-hmm. immediately after I had prayed and absolved myself of sin. Otherwise, you know, if there was a, an, an, an accident or, you know, the rapture happened and it was like right after I had lusted after a man or something, then I wouldn't go. Like I, I would, I would stay on Earth, and or I'd be damned, or you know this or that, like just honestly wishing for death as long as it meant like not going to hell. It's just like a such a scary place to be in when you're you're an adolescent and you already feel like not at home in your body on Earth, but suddenly mm-hmm. you're also thinking about like where your body fits into like a celestial or infernal like I don't know it's just absolutely crazy to think about like we did that we like went through that we had to conceptualize these things
0: it's Mm -hmm. insane that's so sad and so understandable just knowing Mm -hmm. that kind of world Mm -hmm. like I I remember not really understanding what repenting and stuff meant so i i similarly was thinking i constantly have to be um remembering every single thing i did wrong and ask forgiveness Mm -hmm. for every single one of those things like all the time or or
1: else i was gonna go to hell too right and it's not like you have like a scorecard or something it's not like you have
0: like
1: you know oh so my score is this like i'm doing okay it's like there's no cut and dry these are all like liquid gray area things and so you go like is this a sin whatever i'm gonna absolve like (laughs) so Mm -hmm. everything becomes worthy of scrutinization and it's
0: insane
1: you're you're doing an audit of your entire soul all the time forever and always
0: it's just such it's such a trap and it makes sense to want to not exist in that kind of in that kind of world where it's like you're constantly just putting yourself on trial at all times. It's horrible, mm-hmm. especially when you're, like, going through figuring out your sexuality and just thinking yeah. that, like, it's one thing for people to, like, tell you that's wrong and you're bad and all this stuff and you're going right. to hell. But that's another thing to, like, have that ingrained in your own belief system and your own body. Mm-hmm. It just it's not natural.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and I think... Some- hold- what were you
0: gonna say? Sorry, hold on one second. My music just turned on and all of a sudden Taylor Swift was singing to me in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I was like, that's a twist. I love that. I was like, I know that's not you singing. That's Taylor What's, for sure. What song I had to fix it. Uh, uh London boy. <laughs> I had to like finish London singing boy. what she was thinking about. <laughs> oh my god, Spotify. I don't know why that just happened. I, I just exited out of Spotify, so hopefully that won't happen
1: again. <laughs> How weird.
0: I'm sorry that was in the middle of a good we were on a good roll there um do you no. remember what you were about to say
1: <laughs> oh I was just gonna say I think some of the um some of the thinkings like the self um to thinkings that's a very articulate way to say it some of the kind of like mental mechanisms or um figurations maybe is a better way to say it um that are set into our minds by evangelical Christianity or conservative Christianity in general um, are also very similar to, or at least they they certainly don't help, uh, like disordered eating. You know, there is so Mm. much self-demonization. There's, oh, if only I could do this. If only I could just be stronger, then I wouldn't sin. You know, like in a way, disordered eating becomes um this this extension of like this sinfulness slash righteousness complex of like every food suddenly is imbued with like this is sinful or this is righteous and if i eat this then i'm good and if i eat in this quantity i'm good but if i eat this or i don't eat it or if i purge it or if i do that then i'm suddenly like i'm damned and it just feel so i don't know it it's such a hopeless place such a hopeless mm-hmm. place i don't know that just yeah those two go
0: together really well mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah eating disorders <laughs> mixed
0: with yeah eating disorders mixed with um Growing up in the very black and white evangelical Christian, just the rigidness, it's all, it's like a very similar mindset with a totally different flavor, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense for them to be merged with a lot of people's lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So what, what was kind of like, you said you stopped being a Christian at 19. I, I'm sure there's so many different threads to this story because there's the like <laughs> come coming out as gay and then also uh, whatever the journey was of realizing you were trans and then just the deconstructing Christianity as mm. just its own path. Like what mm-hmm. was that experience like? Well, it coming out as... Um, sort of
1: not Christian to myself was a kind of coming out, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. and that was deeply intertwined with my journey, with my sexuality. Like, I eventually reached this place where, um, you know, I was a teenager. I was, um, you know, I thinking of myself as gay. I was only into dudes. And I was just thinking, I'm going to go to hell for this. I'm going to go to hell for this. And eventually I hit the spot where I thought, okay, I'm just going to abstain. I'm going to be celibate for my entire life. And the depression that just crushed me after that decision was so fully engulfing that I realized I, I, I literally can't do this. Like, if I continue on this way... I'm going to, um, as the monetized YouTubers say, unalive myself, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, um, like, I, I'm i just going to destroy myself. Like, it, 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 I would rather live a sinful life if it meant that I could connect with people on a deep uh, emotional level, you know, instead of, um, instead of keeping myself from that possibility. And so that was a huge turning point where I realized, okay, regardless of what I think the Bible says, I can't believe it. I it it it, it the Bible can not be inerrant. It has to be flawed because this feels so wrong and so hopeless that there's no way, like, a loving God could make me, you know, put me in this spot to the point where I just want to die, you know? Mm. Um, And so I think that was the biggest piece of my deconstruction was that moment there of realizing, um, you know, I don't believe the Bible is inerrant, which is so fundamental to fundamentalism, um, and so that's kind of when I closed the door in fundamentalism. And from there, you know, if the Bible's not inerrant, if it, is, if it is open to criticism and it's flawed, then it's open to criticism. And so I continued to mull over the Bible mull over Christian teachings and find these, like, chinks in the armor, and I'd go, well... You know, what, you know, it's just those age-old questions of, like, what happens to people who, you know, grow up uh, in these remote tribes in the Amazon and they've never heard of Christianity before? Did they go to hell? Like, Mm -hmm. do they, you know, like those, I feel like, questions that every Christian kid thinks about. Um, Yeah. Or, like, the story of Job, which is just one of the most deeply horrendous stories ever of like God Mm -hmm. basically doing a um like making a bet with the devil like oh yeah you can ruin Job's life and uh he won't he won't succumb to you like he'll he'll still be on my side devil and so he basically just lets the devil destroy this man's life just for a bet like it's so disgusting it's so vile um and so, it really, from that point of deconstruction of letting go of fundamentalism, everything else was just you know by a few degrees. And so, I think I was, um, I think I was sixteen when I changed that. When I when I let go of fundamentalism and believed that the Bible was errant, was flawed. And um, everything else was, you know, in the three years after that. And by the time I was nineteen, I remember I had a conversation with my boyfriend at the time, and um, he, we were talking about Christianity in some way, and I just said, "Oh, actually, you know, I'm not a Christian," and he was like, "Oh, oh, did that change?" And I was like, "I think it did." yeah it just felt like, oh, it's not a part of me anymore, you know, almost like like a like a birthmark that it slowly faded away. It was just like, Oh, yeah, it's gone. Huh? Yeah. interesting yeah.
0: Wow what, what what did that feel like when you were able to say that? Like, did it feel freeing? Did it feel scary?
1: It did. I love, I love how did it feel? That's such a good like therapist question. Um, It
0: felt uh, (laughs) had a lot of therapy. (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) Um, it, It did feel freeing, you know, but it was also scary because even still there was this point, there was this little indoctrinated part of my brain that was going, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're going to go to hell, you're going to burn for eternity. And even though it gets easier, it truly, truly does get easier with time. Like, I've gotten more comfortable not only in myself, but also letting go of Christianity the longer I've been away from it. I um, still occasionally realize, like, there's still a part of me that is still, like, that indoctrinated, scared little kid. Um, And it comes out when I'm, like, like a few months ago, I got super, super, and I'm not proud of this. It was very bad. I got super, super drunk and like on mm-hmm. wine, like wine drunk. It was not pretty. it's um, a
0: specific drunk.
1: <laughs> a very specific kind of drunk, exactly. <laughs> um, and it was kind of by accident. Like I just like didn't really know my limits. I still don't. I'm not a big drinker. And I got wasted. And my, um, roommate who was also raised evangelical, um, she was like kind of taking care of me, you know, like petting my hair while I like vomited. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, um, good
0: roommate. <laughs> good roommate.
1: Very good roommate. She's like one of my best friends, Bev. And, um, Bev, uh, told me later on, you know, I was just saying some of the things I was saying when I was just in the throes of like such deep intoxication, I was saying like, I don't wanna to go to hell. I don't wanna to go to hell. Like, I don't wanna burn. I don't wanna burn. And just saying all these like awful things that I barely remember. But as soon as she like reminded me, I was like, oh, shit. Like, there's still a part of me. As much as I've like deconstructed, as much as I've, um, you know, they, they, they say like when you're getting out of a cult, Like you're like deprogrammed. And I do feel like there's an element of it there, you know, like as much as I've deconstructed, as much as I've deprogrammed, there is still that part of me that's just a scared little kid, terrified of hell, terrified of, you know, disappointing my parents and disappointing God. And I just wish I could divest that self, that, that part of myself, you know what I mean?
0: Oh, totally. Wait, I think I missed this. When when did you say this happened? Was this recently this was or a while ago?
1: Just a few months ago.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Just a few months ago. Yeah, I think there's so much to say when it comes to um, internalized homophobia or internalized transphobia and all that stuff when, mm-hmm. when you were raised so intently in that kind of atmosphere that, like, evangelical Christians really like put out and and Mm -hmm. there's also there's a lot to say and I think there's varying opinions on this of like how being raised in that world is very similar or just is being raised in a cult and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think that there are so many over overlaps and so many just like scarily similar tactics that are used Mm -hmm. and I think even just that story proves so much of it true because the amount of work that I'm sure you've done and I know I've done and still have similar experiences to that. Right. Just ask our Um, therapists. (laughs) Just ask our therapists. We'll get them, get them on here. Get them just backing us up here. (laughs) But just the fact that like all of that is true and knowing that you're living so beautifully as who you are today but still have that deep somewhere in there is just it's sad and it's this sign that like there's so much more to that mm-hmm. and i'm sure there's science behind it but i'm not a scientist i wish i was really <laughs> cool. but I'm it sure would be interesting so much yeah like have you read the um you probably have uh, body keeps a score book yes Yes. Classic. Okay. It's been a... Classic. It's been a while since I've read it, but, I mean, as the title <laughs> says it, um, so much of that trauma just lives in our bodies, and mm, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, like, it doesn't show up until moments like that, and it just... yeah, It's really sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it... You know, it's almost like I feel like I am well... And suddenly I I have like a flare up of an illness that I thought was long gone. And I'm like, shit, Mm. you know, it's like, it's still with me, this thing, this thing that saps life force from me. Um, And I don't want to, I don't want to like totally malign like Christianity or like religion or anything like I'm, I'm religious, but like, there's something about about that that brand of a fundamentalism yeah. that equates that imbues everything with cosmic significance that can either sign your death warrant or your you know eternal bliss like uh, it's just so um toxic it's toxic
0: mm-hmm. oh yeah Oh, for sure. So so this was all going on around, you said you were 19 when um, you realized you weren't a Christian anymore?
1: Yeah, yeah. Had that conversation with my okay. boyfriend, and I was just like, oh, I'm free in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but oh then my it, gosh. it wasn't until I was 21 that I came to terms of being trans Um, And around that same time, I started to convert to Judaism, which is like a whole nother. There's lots of there's lots of strands and stories there, Um, which you're I
0: love. I love that.
1: You're also Jewish, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to to ask about that. Yeah. So I um, my my dad's side is Jewish. Uh, We weren't raised in any way. I mean, obviously obvious by the story I shared earlier we were not raised Jewish um, mm-hmm. but after I after I came out me coming out kind of overlapped with me not being deciding I wasn't a Christian anymore it took a minute I was mm. so desperate to hold on to it because it felt like this important part of me that I didn't want to lose but as mm-hmm. you've experienced the but the second you start un- like pulling at a thread, it starts to unravel, and you're like, Oh,
1: yeah, okay. that's a great way of saying it. Great way of saying it,
0: yeah. And so, um, I want to say like maybe two, two years, maybe a little less after that, I started missing having um, a spiritual life and mm-hmm. getting really interested in ancestry stuff and i think a big Mm -hmm. part of that is because i don't have a relationship with my parents anymore and so there was a big part of me that wanted to just have that sense of family of like knowing oh i belonged somewhere in some kind of yeah group of people yeah so so i started doing like deep diving and realizing oh i'm really jewish i'm like (laughs) my like dad's Grand- grandparents are like Abraham and Sarah like it was all the Jewish <laughs> names and I was like oh my god yeah. <laughs> oh my god it wasn't just Kugel there was a lot yeah. more to it so <laughs> yeah so then I started just deep diving in and reading a bunch of books and finding a synagogue that I wanted to just um, learn more Learn more about and I just fell in love with the concept of um, what did this rabbi say i think i think it was that in judaism the conversation starts after like scripture starts the conversation it doesn't end the conversation like Mm -hmm. it does in christianity Mm -hmm. Um, and just that it's all about asking questions and challenging it just like what you were saying earlier which i i'm sure is a big part of your story is just just the willingness just the invitation to do that and mm-hmm. for that to be celebrated versus condemned and a sign that you don't believe you're going to hell. And it just was like yeah. a totally different, incredible place to be. Um, what, what was your story like with it? Because I know you're saying you, you started converting around around the time you were starting to come out as trans or what was yeah. that
1: like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, ironically enough, it's very similar to yours in that I felt kind of like when I let go of Christianity, I felt very adrift. I was like, um, you know, I just lost my entire family, basically, because Mm -hmm. of my queerness. And then I had lost my church family, you know. And anybody who's grown up in, particularly in like a fundamentalist religion, there are a lot of downsides. But I tell you, one upside is the support you have um, for just like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so, Bobby... Smith Magoo, he broke his leg, so the whole church family is going to bake him casseroles for a week. Or like, Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. the jeans are moving into their new house. Let's all go over and help them. And, like, you know, some of my best friends I made in church youth group going to um, these little, like, excursions out into the Florida woods with these friends, like, on church youth group trips. Uh, springs or whatever you know those are some of my favorite memories some of my favorites and so suddenly to feel like I lost this you know I've lost this fundamental support network that was huge and I began to think like you know agnosticism or whatever I'm calling myself you know I feel I feel adrift in it I feel like I am a, a boat without an anchor and I needed some kind of grounding. I need some kind of community. And along the way, I found Judaism. You know, I had taken a world religions class. Um, that's when I really began to learn about like modern Judaism because I only ever heard about like ancient Judaism as connected through Christianity. And so, I finally began to read and learn particularly about, like, more progressive sects of uh, Judaism, like uh, Reform or Reconstructionist or even Humanistic, um, and realized that a lot of them had... um, you know a lot a lot of congregations even the congregation that's nearest to me reform congregation um the rabbi is lesbian like openly and like married her wife in the temple and i was like holy crap like that's not what i grew up with you know in my religion like that's incredible um and so realizing like that that was even an option, like I could be part of this community as a queer person. And then exactly as you said, that so much of Judaism is a conversation, it's about asking questions. I realized that there was something innate within Judaism that had been innate within me, that I had been cut from the same cloth. And there's this um, really lovely kind of mythology um, like in... Um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm completely forgetting. The, um, in, in Kabbalistic mythology, uh, the Kabbalah kind of alludes to the fact that Jewish converts are people who, in past lives, were born Jewish, but then were lost from the tribe. And so they are simply returning mm-hmm. And I really love that. I really love that idea because there's a part of it that even though I don't believe in past lives, feels true. There's a part of me that's like, oh, yeah, I always was this. I was just waiting for somebody to point it out. I was just waiting to Mm -hmm. meet Jewish friends and begin to feel so kindred to them and wonder why. And a lot of it was because of that inquisitiveness, which is just so innate to Jewishness, to Judaism is constantly asking questions, is challenging authority in uh, an attempt to repair the world, to Kun Alam, that that, that tenant of Judaism, mm-hmm. um, that was huge for me. And so around the time I started at the college, I ended up graduating from, I transferred from a community college, I came up here to Maine I I went to this college and first term I started making some friends and a few were Jewish. And one of them said, you know, you can convert to Judaism. I said, bullshit. (laughs) I was like, that's not a thing. (laughs) I was like, that's, that's no. And they were like, yeah, yeah. Like you, you should think about it. And I was like, okay, you know, and then we went to a Rosh Hashanah gathering actually, you know, it's been almost five years. Um, a Rosh Hashanah gathering and uh, on campus held by an israeli friend and just something about being in that room you know the the smell of freshly cut apples and seeing the honey and hearing him speak in hebrew like there was something vaguely familiar about it because i the sect of of christianity that i had grown up in the brand of evangelicalism we had very much fetishized Jewishness you know yeah. like it was very messed up and twisted and um phylosemitic which is not a term that i was familiar growing up with but it was phylosemitism you know like this intense fetishization of Jewishness. And it's all just in service of Christianity still. And that's how you know it's Mm -hmm. philo-Semitic, is that it's not just like, oh, we support Jewish people, we support the Jewish state of Israel, we do this, we do that. No, it is, we support these people because secretly, not secretly, but like subconsciously, what we're hoping is that if all the Jews return to Israel, then the second coming will start. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's really what it's based exactly. in. Exactly,
0: um,
1: And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. But because of, you know, the Christianized Passover Seders that we had, because of the Talis, the, because of this and that, these relics that we had appropriated and bastardized. Even as appropriated and bastardized as they were, there was still that element of familiarity of, oh, I grew up with something like this. Oh, you know, Christianity and modern Judaism, we we sprung from the same trunk of ancient Judaism. And there was something like, okay, it's almost like I, I've compared it to like when Indiana Jones in the movie, he has to like replace that little bag Uh, with like something else that's the equal size so it doesn't set off the booby traps does that make sense Mm -hmm. you know and I felt like I was sort of swapping Christianity for something that was like yes different but like similar heft similar weight and like with some overlap that I could be like okay okay cool you know we're not gonna the the booby traps of self-destruction are not about to go into place um and of course there was still deconstruction to do there was still learning to do a lot of um a lot of deconstruction to do but uh that's where my journey really started and um or in some ways you know ended uh, in finding judaism was was at that point around the time i came to terms with being trans
0: yeah i just think that's the most beautiful story and oh i just yeah I love it I love that so much I got really excited when I was kind of deep diving into your work and I found I found that out and started reading about it and I love that you talk about how it yeah how it intersects with you with you coming out as trans I there's so many more questions I want to ask you I almost want to do a part (laughs) (laughs) two. yeah I'm like trying to think of which one should I ask um t- I'm can down you for tell whatever me a little bit more. I Okay. <laughs> I wanna hear a little bit more about what it was like coming out as trans and kind of how you how you decided or how you like I don't know, how that all happened and how it went along with converting to Judaism and just what that experience was like.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean it was huge. It was a huge decision to come out. Um and really it started with my being able to explore my gender presentation. You know, I went to a very a very, very hippy dippy college called College of the Atlantic here in Bar Harbor. And um it was just very progressive. I had for the first time ever, um, role models like like um I not not role models, but what's the word? Like um figures to look up to the, uh, like leader leaders around me, um, uh, figures of authority and who were openly, uh, queer. And that was huge for me. I was like, oh my gosh, you can actually like be queer and like get a partner and like, get old and be successful like it doesn't just mean ruin or destruction like you know and so (laughs) I uh that was huge for me and I realized like okay maybe I can begin to live more openly and so living more openly for me meant being able to give in to certain impulses like well I've always wanted to kind of dabble in women's clothes. Like I've always found women's clothes so beautiful. And there were some guys at my school who like painted their nails or occasionally wear a skirt or, you know, whatever. And so I wore skirts. I started like painting my nails a little bit. And I was just enamored with how right it all felt. I was just like, holy crap, like this is home. And so I, I like to say like my journey with, transness and a lot of people it's the the opposite my journey of transness was not um that I experienced a lot of dysphoria and then transitioned to escape euphoria it's or to, uh, to escape dysphoria but rather I discovered euphoria gender euphoria not dysphoria mm. and I transitioned to embrace it you know like I I felt the rightness of femininity and I was like Mm -hmm. there was something there were these moments where um, as I began to explore more and more I had um, like I remember I went to a contra dance do you know what a contra dance is no no it's like um, this like traditional dance it's like you know people join hands and there's clapping and like you know a fiddler and they it's kind of like square dancing in a way but there's a caller, and okay. it's like a new england canadian kind of you know northern thing kind of traditional dance um and i was at a contra dance here at the library in town and i have this vivid memory of the caller being like okay and all the ladies to this side of the room and all the men to this side of the room we're going to start this other dance you know da, 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 and he starts going And he pulled me over to the side with the guys and i remember this little voice in me being like i'm not supposed to be over here you know and it was like Mm. i had several of these little moments where i was like no that's not right or even a couple years prior i had been talking with my boyfriend one time and just mid-conversation i just felt this like Thought this sensation, this feeling, this urge strike through me like lightning, and I said, "You know what? If we ever have kids, I want them to call me mom." And he was like, Mm. "Oh, okay." You know, he was he was like not not about to question it. I guess like he he loved me. He was like, and in retrospect, he knew he knew before I did, Um, but. Yeah, there were just all these little moments and eventually it just, it came to me being like, well, you know, I, I lots of people feel these things. Like, I know I, I'm not really trans and <laughs> eventually just feeling more and more of those things and researching, reading people's trans narratives and hearing their stories and realizing that I was giving, I was in the classic predicament of saying, I'm not trans enough. I'm not Mm. trans enough to transition, but that's ridiculous because the real fact of the matter is that if you're trans at all, you're trans enough, you know, like Mm -hmm. I've, I've had trans people reach out to me and say, Oh, you know, like, I just feel so happy. Like when I'm uh, wearing a dress or like when I'm doing this or doing that, like, I just, I wish I was trans like you. And I was like, Honey, you are. You are trans. Like there's no there's no reason. And you know, but I I get where they're coming from because that's where I was. You know, it was the summer of my twenty-first year. I was um in the process of converting to Judaism. I was coming to terms with being trans, and the huge hurdle for me was really accepting Okay, the thoughts that I'm having, the transness that I am experiencing, my trans experience is sufficiently trans enough, um, which I think everybody has to go through. But it's also, you know, a a hurdle, kind of ridiculous at the same time. (laughs) It's all trans enough. It's all trans enough.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow, I think that's such an incredible an incredible story and experience to be able to feel like you were finally in a place where you felt safe enough to explore more of who you are.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think that's so that's so cool that like being there and you felt like you had other people around you to like show i guess like representation of oh like. There's like, this is okay. Like, it's possible to be happy, like you were saying. And
1: yeah, and to
0: just for that to lead into you feeling maybe even like subconsciously just safer to be like, oh, I want to, I want to dabble in women's clothing or I belong on that side with, with the women. I think that's so, that's just so good and probably (laughs) felt so different than what you'd always experienced growing up and feeling like just this rigidness of this is how you're supposed to be and there's no room for Mm -hmm. exploration and Mm -hmm. and that makes sense that that aligns so much with you converting to Judaism because right it was just a place where you were allowed to explore
1: absolutely right you know like fundamentalism a fundamentalist Christianity in some ways was very much like cis heteronormativity like they were both Mm -hmm very black and white worlds and suddenly I was being offered this place where I was not only welcomed to question but I was encouraged to question I was encouraged to um you know think about the norms and break the norms if I wanted to and I've even talked about in my writing like how there are overlaps in passing right like the fact that sometimes when I demonstrate like robust Jewish knowledge people just assume that I'm like I was born Jewish and I have to explain like no I converted and they're like oh well you pass you know and it's sort of similar Mm -hmm. with like transness where sometimes I perform my gender throughout the world and uh, people assume that I'm just a cis woman um, and then only in conversation later on are they like, oh, oh, you're trans. Oh, okay, cool. You know, there's like this weird sensation of passing. Um, but in both cases, you know, these states in which I have found myself, these newer states, whether that be Jewishness or transness, they feel both new and more authentic, but also in a way like they've always been there. Exactly like the Kabbalah says, you know, it's like in some ways, I've always been a woman, even though there are periods of my life as a boy, as a young boy, where I thought, well, I think I'm pretty happy being a young boy. You know, but there is there is an element of transness that has woven itself through my story, regardless of where I actually would have told, or regardless of what I would have actually described my gender as, as at any given point. There's something about... um Queering, um, you know, like the queer as a verb, right? To queer, um, and I feel like my uh, my story is a very queer story. It's been queered, and I continue to queer it. And um, one way I do it is questioning, and that is a very Jewish, very very Jewish principle, right? Like they're both um, mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin, truly.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh, <laughs> I want to like write all that on a poster. I love it so much. It's so cool. I love. I love that. What you said about you weren't only. Oh, you weren't only welcome to question, but you were like, "What did you say?" I was you encouraged to question, but you were like, "Yeah, encouraged to question." That just. I love that so much and that's so beautiful and I'm so happy mm-hmm. and grateful for you that you got to just be somewhere that that felt I don't know that you, like I said you were safe enough to explore that and find that and realize like that's who you've always been and Yeah. That's so wonderful. Thank you. You you, you wrote in your writing. Yeah. You wrote in your in your writing um I have like half of a quote that I wrote down from you. Mm. Um, so you might have to fill in the blanks, but uh, you wrote that when you came out as trans, you realized you wanted a body that was all for you. Mm. What? Tell me about that. Cause that, oof,
1: that is <laughs> just
0: brilliantly amazing. Oh, well, thank Tell you. me about that. Um, yeah.
1: Well, I think in some ways, when you're trans, you feel like your body from the get-go, is not meant for you. And and I know, um, I actually was just recently speaking with Alicia Roth-Wegel, or Weigel, um, she, who is a, an intersex activist. And um, mm-hmm. she was expressing, you know, a similar sentiment, although in some ways it's even more marked um, for intersex individuals. But, um, you know, this sense that there is such expectation thrust upon you at the point of your birth you know when you are born and if your genitals resemble a penis then uh, and that's it then everybody in the room expects you to uh one day marry a woman to enjoy sports to do this to do that you know like and if it your genitals just resemble a vagina, then everybody expects you to one day marry a man and to enjoy children and to, you know, be very emotional and this and that. And, you know, there's all these expectations thrust upon you, um, even though you don't get much decision at all. Um, And so to have a body that is truly mine, it's taking back that decision. And saying, no, I'm actually going to determine what the expectations are. You know, I can never truly change everyone's expectations around me. But thankfully, I've had a community of a, a, you know, a chosen family that I've been able to establish that truly changes their expectations as I learn more and more about myself. As I realize, you know what, these expectations aren't working for me. These expectations of, of Christianness, of maleness, of gayness aren't working for me. And in fact, actually transness and Jewishness. And ironically enough, heterosexuality, you know, these work for me. <laughs> I remember I came out circling to...
0: Back. <laughs> circling
1: back. Circling back. I came out to one of my friends <laughs> as trans, and she was one of the first people I'd come out to as gay. And I said, oh, I have something to tell you. And she said what you're straight <laughs> and I said <laughs> well you know I said kind of and she said oh okay I get it I get it um oh
0: my god I love that
1: yeah 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 so there's um you know I think there's a big element in transitioning it's 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 putting your body first and um and and saying like this is for me and also defining what what, you know, masculinity or femininity means for you. Um, I think everybody, Mm -hmm. I'm so frustrated by like the question of like, you know, what is a woman or what is a man? And I know like the alt-right have really co-opted that question recently, but um, it Mm -hmm. is so frustrating because to me it just, there's no point in debating because everybody's gonna have a different answer. Everybody defines womanhood or manhood or personhood differently. And so why can't we just allow everybody to define it personally and separately? I mean, I don't understand why you need to cut everybody into these little categories when the fact of the matter is my womanhood looks very different than your womanhood and my womanhood i think of as resembling like figures i look up to and of course that's going to differ from the figures you look up to and i i think of symbols you know i almost think of my womanhood in an array of tarot cards right these symbols of like the goddess the moon the mother like the the maiden like all of these things and yet other people, they think of womanhood in far more pragmatic terms. They go, a womanhood is this. A woman does this. A woman does that. A woman does this. You know, it's very verbiage. It's it's verbs. But it's different. It's all different. Ugh, I could go on and on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like just babbling at this <laughs> no, point.
0: No. No, oh sorries. This is like one of the best. My this is one of my favorite things to talk about too. And yeah, you speak about it so beautifully and with Thank so you. much just truth and passion and yeah. Thank it's you. wonderful, Abby. You are so cool.
1: Oh my god, you're so cool. Stop.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I feel I feel like I mean I we're both Jewish, so I feel like we're family. We are. And we're I love Mishpacha. that, and I'm so yes, yes. I love I love that I got to chat with you and learn so much and just I don't know I feel like this conversation was very life-giving and it made me feel really excited to like mm. just continue diving into to my own my own stuff and my own like Jewishness and my own just learning. So you, Mm. you are a wonderful, wonderful person. And I love this conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I can only reciprocate literally everything you just said. I mean, this is just making me want (laughs) to dive deeper, right? Like, I was, I was nervous before today, just because I get nervous anytime I have to like, talk with anybody or I'm talking with somebody new, I'm like, oh my God, what if I'm just like (laughs) a nervous wreck and I (laughs) say, I stumble over my words or whatever. And I feel like I am like going to walk away from this feeling. um, I feel like my cup is fuller than it was rather than emptier, which is all I can ask for. Truly, truly.
0: Oh, 100%. I love that. (laughs) Abby, I have one last question for you, and okay. if you have listened to any other episodes, you probably know where this is going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I as, do. As is, for some reason, usual, I did not prepare this question, so we're going to see where my brain takes me right now. Uh-huh. Okay. Abby, would you rather mm-hmm. have a career... As a puppeteer, <laughs> where <laughs> the stories the stories with these puppets are only like were you a reader growing up? Like I you was, were like, I was. Okay, okay. What was your favorite series?
1: Oh gosh, um, I was a big fan of Chronicles of Narnia, like a true evangelical kid. <laughs>
0: Love it, love it. Okay, okay. so um, would you rather your your career be a puppeteer in a bunch of reenactments of the Chronicles of Narnia but (laughs) all the characters are vegetables? So it's kind of like a veggie tale Chronicle of Narnia, but you are the puppeteer. (laughs) Oh my God, and now this is... This is your whole world. This is Uh your thing. You Uh make decent money at it. You're not rich, but you're not, like, struggling to make ends meet. Uh Uh, But this is the thing. And and the crowds you get at every show Uh vary. Like, sometimes it's a bunch of kids. Sometimes it's a bunch of old ladies. Sometimes it's, like... I don't know, college students, not sure what to do, super, just super stoned, and they're (laughs) ready to have a show. Right, just watch some vegetables,
1: like, play sword fights, like...
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh Or would you rather be in an actual production of The Chronicles of Narnia in theaters... Not as mm. vegetables, but <laughs> let's say fruits. It's not too different, but it, it would definitely have a different vibe. Uh-huh. And so this is the Chronicles of Narnia, but everybody has a English, a really thick English accent. And I don't know <laughs> if you can do an English accent, but you would have to uh-huh. for this role. Uh-huh. And like the puppets, you get a varying degree of audiences and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. you make similar amount of money so that's not really going to okay. affect anything but it probably takes a little bit more energy out yeah. of you which which one of those do you <laughs> think? <favorite guys? laughs> this
1: is so in depth I love this question um
0: thank you <laughs> I think
1: I would um I don't know honestly I'm thinking about like the mechanics of it I'm thinking about like holding up puppets strings and all that and all my like my shoulders and elbows and I'm like that sounds so tiring so I'm gonna go with performing firsthand like first you know okay on a stage
0: yeah I love it I could totally see it I could see with any of the characters you could just play all of them
1: as a fruit I mean I've been called a fruit before so perfect
0: (laughs) that's fair that is fair (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love that. I love that. That's, <laughs> That's a great a answer. What would you choose? I think I would do the production as well, because yeah. I think if I was a puppeteer, I would feel like I wasn't involved enough. I think I yeah. would want to be more immersed. <laughs> so I love that. I think that. being on the stage would just, I would feel like I would get to be more, more theatrical and more, yeah. I would experience it to a deeper, a more... A deeper depth than yeah. just as the
1: puppeteer. I'm thinking about that too. Like what what's gonna be like the most fun? Like what's gonna immerse me in like Oh yeah. Yeah. This is such a silly question. I love it.
0: <laughs> For sure. Maybe we could do it. We'll do it together. We'll get on Broadway when you're in New York City. You can Yeah. you'll get us there. I love it. <laughs> oh man. Abby where where can where can people find you I know I don't think we introduced Mm -hmm. you at the beginning I'll introduce you in the the intro to to say what you do but Mm -hmm. where where can people find your writing and your social media and all things Abby Jo Morris
1: well I'm on most most socials but I'm definitely most active on Instagram uh it's just abby.joe.mo um And that's where I have like my, my links to my writing as well. I wish I had a website one day, one day soon I'll have a website, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would say Instagram's probably the best bet. Abby.joe.mo.
0: Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I will put that in the description box below. I highly (laughs) recommend to those listening to go check out Abby's work. She is an incredible writer. And if you enjoy this conversation, definitely, definitely go check that out. But, Abby, thank you so much for your time and for giving, I don't know, working through, like we said, the technical gremlins and giving this another shot. technical gremlins. Thank God it worked (laughs) out because this was such a, yes, this is such a great chat. So I I so appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thank you so, so much. This is so, so lovely. uh,
0: let me know. Yeah, let me know if you're ever in the St. Louis area, and I will be hitting you up for a tour when me and Kaylee end up in New England, and I'm super excited. Hell yeah,
1: I can't wait to show you all around.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, we'll talk to you later. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, too. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Unity Project Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, uh, please feel free to go leave a review anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to follow along and get updates on new episodes or future books or past books or any and all the things, then go follow me on Instagram at JackieG.TV or just go check out my website www.jackiegronlund.com. All those links will be in the description box below. So thank you so much for listening. See you next time.